This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Okay. Hey, good morning, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be on this, at least here in L.A., lovely Sunday morning. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff and my Instagram simulcast, which I like to call it. So I'm doing both at the same time. So uh, anyway, any questions, either one of you, easy to get a hold of me on Pet Life Radio. You just go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows. You go to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff and just click on the Zoom link there. You can also get a hold of us. You can 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. That's a good old-fashioned way. You pick up a phone here on Instagram. You're here already. All you have to do is just type away, and I already have a, already have a question, which is good. So we'll talk about that in just a second. So anything you want to talk about, we're here for you, here for your pets. Hopefully just um, clarify things for you. I interestingly had a, a, a case last night of a, a former client who lives up in Oxnard now. So um, I don't see the dog, his dogs, but one of them is a, a relatively new English bulldog that started vomiting. Vomited something like 12 times. Uh, he took it into an emergency, local emergency facility, one that he uh, takes his other dog to who sees an internal medicine specialist there. And um, they, uh, he went home. And when he got home, he saw an opened empty bag of rat poison and totally obviously freaked out. So um, he calls them and lets them know. And now they want to do all sorts of things, but he had vomited 12 times. And like I said to him, he ate lunch, then got a hold of the poison and vomited multiple amount of times with anything left in there anyway. And as long as, you know, when you have these toxic things, as long as they vomit within the first, within an hour and a half for sure, even two hours, you pretty much can get most everything out. This dog vomited 12 times. So they're trying to talk him into doing all these things. I said, wait a second, 12 times, it's probably out anyway. And by the time, the only thing I would have added to that initially would be activated charcoal. And that helps minimize the absorption of the toxins in through the wall of the lining of the intestinal tract, thus into the bloodstream. So that would be a preventive measure as well. But this is already, by the time they found all this out, it was six hours, five hours later, Chats are, this stuff has already been through whatever was left, which I doubt much. Anyway, his panic was they wanted to do all sorts of weird things. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, how's the dog acting now? The dog is a bulldog. It was all uptight, you know, obviously very stressed out, panting. They put him on an oxygen cage, maybe a little bit overkill. And, um, but the dog was, and some sedation, which was really the thing they needed. It's just something to calm the dog down. He was doing just fine and sleeping, she, she was doing fine. She was resting. And they want to start to put the tube down her throat and activated charcoal, which would do nothing at this point. I said, take the dog home. God, this poor dog. And um, P.S., I checked this morning. Dog's doing just great. So uh, anyway, God, the expression overkill. Sometimes you just got to sit back, take in all the facts, and then you make a decision. And that's what I find some of these emergency places, some of these doctors, especially the young doctors, they're so eager just start doing, 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 they don't really understand what and why they're doing it. And what is the likelihood in this case? What was the likelihood of there was even being a problem given the fact that the dog vomited so many times? So those are the kinds of things I love to help people out with. So let me say, hello, Greer. 
Thoughts on diabetes for dogs. Have you had cases of diabetes among them? I've had a zillion cases of diabetes. So um, let's talk about that because it's a great question. So dogs and cats get diabetes. Regardless of age, dogs usually get type 1 diabetes, which is the equivalent of our juvenile onset diabetes, which is insulin-dependent diabetes. Cats, however, they get typically type 2 diabetes, which is our adult onset diabetes, usually associated with obesity and other poor health issues. And those may or may not be insulin dependent. We usually start with insulin, but many of those, as with people, can do good with oral anti-gluconeogenic you know, agents to try to cut down the blood sugar and weight loss and things like that, and can do fine and often get them off of the insulin. So dogs are 99% insulin dependent diabetes, a number of different um, insulins that we have to deal with. The problem with diabetes in dogs and people as well is that we want to prevent something called diabetic ketoacidosis. And if dogs, when you check them, the classic sign, uh, presenting sign of diabetic dog or cat is drinking and peeing, drinking and peeing like crazy. And of course, when you have a dog that's drinking and peeing, there are other conditions that could do that too. Cushing's disease, a urinary tract problem, a kidney problem. So what do we do? We, of course, take blood and take a urine sample. We've got to start somewhere. So all of a sudden you get the bloods back and the urine back, a blood glucose in the three, four, or five hundreds. Well, high normal is like, you know, you want to be uh, below 100, maybe 110, right? Then, um, and then the um, urine has three plus, four plus glucose in the urine. So that is pretty much diagnostic of diabetes. And But in that urine, if you also see ketones, that could be a problem because then it's been going on so long that we're getting this, the very serious side effects of diabetes. So now you're treating, you're not only treating diabetes, you're treating the ketoacidosis, and that's hospitalization, fluids, that's a problem. So rule of thumb, if your dog is excessively drinking and peeing, right, get them in, cat too, get them in, have them checked out. You don't want to wait because early diagnoses for any of these conditions can actually be very beneficial for your pet. So once we have a diagnosis, now it's starting with insulins. In the midst of an emergency, we use what's called regular insulin, but we quickly get them off to either an NPH, which, uh, uh, so you're looking for is humulin N, which is a human insulin, but we also have a lot of vets. We have Prozinc, we have Vetsilin. There's ones that are long acting, but interestingly, even like Vetsilin, they say is long acting. But what we have found is even in animals, the long acting ones, you still often use, have to go twice a day. In people, they try to get them on. So anyway, it's something you want to get. Early diagnosis is key. See your veterinarian and go from there. Take-home lesson it is not a death sentence. There are dogs, and now there are ways to monitor blood glucose at home, okay, with these little discs that go onto the skin, and you have a little reader. It looks like a little old-fashioned pager, and you just wipe it near the, that little disc, and it'll give you a reading. So it's so easy now to stay on top of it. You don't have to clip their ears or cut a toenail and make them bleed and, and you know use glucose monitor, which we had to do in the past and still often do. So it's, it's really easy now to get the readings done at home. The hardest part with diabetes is the early part is what's called titrating, the amount of insulin that is going to provide the glucose levels that are appropriate for the dog. Usually, if glucose is above 250, 250 in the blood, that's when it spills over into the urine. We call that the urine threshold. So if there is glucose in the urine, even one plus, you know most likely the blood glucose 
is over 250 milligrams. Now, there's also a, a long-acting test that you can do called a fructosamine, because a lot of times when you do a, a blood test, you're measuring your blood glucose, it's, it's a moment in time. But if you want to have an idea of how has my dog been doing for the last six or eight weeks, that's where fructosamine comes in. So that's also helps us with not so much the diagnosis, but the management. So anyway, hope that answers your question. And any other question? Great question, by the way. That's the stuff I love to talk about here. So um, while you guys get the courage to ask me some questions, because there are a lot of good questions out there, I know it. So, um, oh, by the way, uh, Eloise Rescue posted, there are two dogs, and I forget where the shelter was here in Southern California, that are so adorable. It's, uh, they're two brothers, and love, love them to go together, but they're in a kill shelter. And if you go to EloiseRescue.com, or it might be EloiseRescue.org, one of the two, she has a picture of these dogs. Oh my God, if I didn't have five already, <laughs> I, I need a bigger bed to get, to get more. But um, no, it's, it's really um, very sad, very sad. So if you know anybody who has room for one or two more, preferably two, that is the thing to do is get a hold. Oh, another question. So after age five, I check out my uh, catch every year. It's fine. Every three years, it's fine. Ah, that's a really good question. Love it. So what happened was, and this is a this is interestingly the, the whole political BS that happened in the field when the, we re started realizing that vaccines are lasting longer than a year. So a lot of the opponents of doing every three-year vaccines had nothing to do with it. It's like they didn't care about the animal. They cared about, are they going to see the animal once a year, which you still should do. So I said, don't make it. When you send out your reminders, don't make it your due for vaccine. Make it, it's the health check. It's the annual health check. And if the vaccines aren't necessary, you don't give a vaccine. So it's never been a problem for me. Clients know, especially after a certain age, five, six for sure. As they approach seven or eight, they're in seniors already. So yes, you still want to do annual exams. There are so many other things that can be picked up on a routine annual checkup. For example, teeth. You don't want to wait three years to evaluate the mouth because oral diseases can actually spread to systemic diseases like heart and kidney, for example. So I would say you do want to continue every year checkups for your pets, cats, dogs, whatever, even though the vaccines, especially in a cat, may be good for three years. Now, dogs, we oftentimes recommend Bordetella, and a lot of places are recommending that even every six months. So that eliminates some of that issue. The new influenza, which is becoming more and more of a problem, that is a once a year. The distemper parvo, and the rabies are now every three years in adults. So you, the first one's good for a year, and then after that, it's every three. And plus, what I've been promoting for years and still do is on the distemper parvo, we have a very easy in-house test that we can measure antibody. It's called the titer test. And I've had many, many, I'd say the majority of my patients, canine patients, don't even need vaccines every three years or four or five or even six or seven. I've had dogs that have gone eight years without needing a vaccine because they still have protection. So it's either you're going to do have a titer test run and measure existing antibody to determine whether or not a vaccine is needed or give the vaccine, but it's every three years. So uh, great question. Thank you very much. And I want everybody to know you should still do annual exams, even though the vaccines may be good for longer than a year. Okay, if you don't have questions, I have things to talk about too. So guess what? Ah, so here's one from 6570. Hi, I have a mini black silver older schnauzer. It's a female. Heard my parents say she has a little bit of a cataract in her eyes. Is there a way to cure it? 
Absolutely. Oh, also, Greer asked a question. Greer, I don't see you. You have to ask me again. So yes, uh, when it comes to cataracts, cataracts are uh, basically an ac accumulation of deposits in the lens itself, unlike something we call lenticular sclerosis, which is more of the lens capsule. Now, lenticular sclerosis, by definition, because it causes a cloudiness, even though the reason is the capsule and not the actual gelatinous material in the lens, is that it's still considered a pre-cataractous condition. However, for lenticular sclerosis, which is that sort of hazy cloudiness, you look into an eyes of a dog usually over seven or eight, and you'll start seeing it. It usually happens, I said, around seven years of age. And in order for that to actually become a cataract to impede vision, the dog would have to live to about 25 or 30. <laughs> Though we'd love it, it's probably not going to happen. Cataract, on the other hand, is something that is fixable. Now, I do a lot of eye work. I do not do cataract surgery because you need special equipment and you, you really want to see a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist for this kind of procedure. The good news is that it is fixable. And the now new, better news is that we used to remove the cataractus lens. And we know that dog's vision is not the greatest. In fact, of all their senses, their ears and their nose and their taste is way, way more acute and sharper than, than their vision. But they still see pretty well. And it's interesting, their rods versus cone balance is different. And this is what I always say, to put this into perspective. If you show a dog a fabric with pinstripes, they may not really be able to detect the pinstripes. However, if one of those pinstripes moves, that they'll pick up. So because of their hunting and see, that's what they're looking for. So their vision acuity is not great, but their ability to detect motion is very good. P.S. Now, if we do cataract surgery in dogs, well, not we, me, but the veterinary ophthalmologist, is they remove the cataractus lens. It's a procedure called fake emulsification. And then they can actually implant a lens that also provides correction. So it's feasible that you can have a dog that has been doing great, growing up, and all of a sudden gets a cataract, starts becoming a visual, they start not being able to see. Then the doctor takes that lens out and puts in a better lens that gives them better sight than they ever had, even when they were normal. So that's pretty cool. But uh, yes, fixable, it's expensive, but it's worth it. Whether you not do one or both eyes, uh, this is where, because of the expense, some people say, you know what, let's do one. If cataracts are bilateral, of course, and all they really need is one good eye, then let's hold off on the second. But if that one doesn't work well, then we can do the second. Others say, down under anesthesia, let's just get it done and do both eyes if both eyes need it. But something that is very fixable, and I highly recommend if you're having issues like that with cataracts, you should have your doctor refer you to a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist. Uh, I'm sure there are some really good ones here in LA. So if you have any questions, get a hold of me and tell me where you are, and I can make a referral. All right, well, we're going to take a break right now. I'm going to look for Greer's question, and when we come back, we'll take it from there. Don't go away. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your 
your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLiferadio.com. Okay, we're back. We're back. So, two questions. One might be a bit embarrassing for some, but it does happen. And it's a great question, and I know it just recently happened, and that is, how do you make a dog's erection go back in? So here's what happens. First of all, it usually is only going to happen, usually, in intact males. So it can happen, by the way, but not as often. And it's not always a sexual thing. Sometimes it's a dominance thing, and sometimes it is sexual. But there are glands, okay? Um, In fact, (laughs) this is really funny. I'll sometimes neuter a dog, and then I'll get a call from the client and says, you left the, the testicles in. I, I didn't. It's because these glands blow up. They're called the glandus penis. There's glands. And I'm sure you've heard that when male and females mate, okay, they get stuck. What does that mean they get stuck? So when the male inserts, then those glands just get huge and kind of locks him in, literally locks him in. He cannot release. He cannot pull out because those glands are so big, you have to wait until they settle. So what happens is after the mating, the male is you know mounting the, the female, he can dismount, but he's still attached. So now that you've, if you've ever seen it, it's quite a sight. They're butt to butt. And I'm telling you, if for something freaked her out and she wants to take off, he's in big trouble. So um, it, is, it is really something they have to just wait. So what could you do? Well, first of all, Things like you can try, they've all sorts of things, hosing down the cold water, just letting them relax. Sometimes they lubricate a little bit because that way, as the glands are getting smaller, the prepuce, the sheath can actually now extend over the whole male unit, if you will. So there are things to do, but it's really just a tincture of time and doing other things to get his mind off of whatever it was in the first place. So maybe food, maybe a treat, maybe get the leash on like he wants to go out. And there, it, it just, but it will shrink down. And we know that because that's what happened in this case. It did. But sometimes it's just a matter of waiting it out and, and just knowing that it's not dangerous. Now, where it can be dangerous is that if because of the, the size, the girth, that the prepuce, which is the sheath, is so tightly wound around the penis itself that it cuts off blood supply. And that could be a problem. So you don't want to sit there for overnight, let's put it that way. But it could take an hour and uh, whatever. And if it, uh, if it takes longer than that, call your vet or, or call me. We'll walk you through it. Next, uh, what does it mean when my English bulldog tries to run away from herself and is looking back at her bottom constantly? So that usually is something is going on back there. They're, they're feeling something uncomfortable. It could be uh, like a lot of things, really. But anal glands, maybe something that's an irritation in the, in the rectum trying to poop something out, but can't, knows it's in there. So it might be almost like what we call obstipation. There's constipation and obstipation. Obstipation is where the constipation is caused by, it's not really true constipation. It is that there is something there stuck and that 
So they're pushing and pushing. It's not like they're constipated. It means that it's something they're blocked. So it could be there's something there in the way, and she knows it. So she keeps looking back. Oh, what the heck is going on here? Something I can't get it out. And you know they can only do so much. So that is often what it means. I would also have the anal glands checked because it's very possible that it's just a um, anal gland problem. And also some just you know bulldogs have a lot of folds, and they also have quirky tails. And inside that tail fold, that deep tail fold, they have can have an infection, and it's very very uncomfortable for them. So what you might want to do is have that checked. It's called tail fold pyoderma because of their weird corkscrew tails. So if she has a little bit of an infection in there, that is it's like she keeps looking back. And remember, it's very difficult for bulldogs, for French bulldogs, English bulldogs to clean themselves back there. So you know, it's like when you when I neuter a, a bulldog, sometimes I don't have to worry about sending them a collar because they can't get to it anyway. And um, anyway, that might be just the reason why they keep looking back because something back there is bothering them. Have that checked out. Okay. So um, while we're waiting for other questions, let me go through some of the things, I, stories I came across. Perusing the news, we have about five minutes left. So, oh, this is a good one. I love this one. And that's why I just right away, it says dog foods that make they look like people foods. Are they really any um, better? Are they? But they are gaining in popularity. Things like farmer's dog, just food for dogs. It's, it's human grade ingredients, et cetera. But are they really better? So it turns out that veterinarians and animal nutritionists basically say that a lot of these product claims really may not so be so accurate. So they're not, at least they're not supported scientifically. And that's a problem. So people are buying these foods and they may not be so, and as a matter of fact, because of fat content or protein content, they may not be as good for certain dogs that have certain ailments. So again, we want to make sure that speak to your veterinarian. And I've said this to my clients all the time, and I'll share it with you also. Um, and that is this, that if you have a dog that's eating something and they like it a lot, and they have a nice shiny coat, they have lots of energy, they have normal poops, guess what? Don't change it. Don't just because some pet store employee tells you this food is that food better, you go online, they're spending a lot of money on marketing. Don't, don't, if, it don't if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, and sometimes just it's hard, hard to find something that your dogs really like to eat. So when, it, when you finally get it, um, just stay where you are. Ah, um, some questions about this. This is great. This is more of a behavior stuff. And there's some you know, basic things that we hear about. And I just thought they were cute. So, so why do dogs carry their food away to eat it? And then some dogs do that. And they're, they're, these behaviors say that they probably have been in a situation, especially amongst rescue dogs, that they had to compete for their food. So now they're with you. They don't have another dog, but they still carry it away because they want to make sure that no one else is going to take their food away. Two, hiding their toys. Why do they hide their toys? Well, for some dogs, it turns out those dogs are, it's like a valuable commodity. So when they're done playing with it, they don't want to just leave it out. They don't want it to get stolen. So what do they do? They hide them. I thought that was cute. And this happens a lot, eating coprophagia, eating poop, and sniffing butts of other dogs. Well, we already know how amazing dog's scents are. Their noses have almost 300 million receptors, and they can smell things that we can't even come close to picking up any odor at all, and they can smell things like crazy. So it could be that they're, because the feces smell is very strong, they can smell that, but it might also be, believe it or not, something that that dog ate, okay? That is the dog, your dog, or the dog that's smelling the butt or the feces, eating the feces is picking up 
And that's what they're going. They're not eating poop per se. It's that they, there is something in there that they picked up, a scent that they picked up and liked. I goes, I want that, whatever it was. And uh, so just because it went through the intestinal tract doesn't always mean it loses its smell. It's like, you know, I, I can have something dry, clean, clean, whatever, freshly laundered, and I can go up near a dog, a strange dog, and they start smelling me like crazy. There's no way. Don't kid yourself. You're not getting the dog smells out. So tick season. We are just like we talked about mosquitoes and heartworm, uh, ticks as well. Because of the moisture, the experts are basically saying here in California, especially Northern California, ticks are going to be a huge problem. So make sure, speak to your veterinarians about the flea and tick control. I personally like the isoxazolines. The isoxazolines are Brevecto, Cordelio, Semperica, and Nexgar. Those are the four. And if you are considering adding heartworm prevention as well, then you also want to get either Cordelio Plus or Semperica Trio. Those two, the Plus and the Trio, take care of fleas, ticks, and heartworm. So otherwise, there's some great heartworm preventatives out there. So talk to your veterinarian, but I would 100% uh, be considering doing those. I'm going to bring heartworm home for my dogs as well. Ah, we've talked about this in some ways, and you know, like these internet scams. Puppy mills now are using, I wouldn't say it's internet scams. You still might get a dog, but you're not getting quality because the, so many states have banned selling of live puppies, right? From that are coming from sources other than shelters or rescues in their pet stores. So now the puppy mills have gone online. So you, you go onto the site and you see these adorable puppies and all sorts of great information about puppy care and feeding and all this stuff. And you think, oh my God, this must be a really legitimate. The truth is they don't care who they take their money from. Whereas legitimate breeders, just like you're checking them out, trust me, they're going to check you out as well because they don't want their dogs going to a home that is not going to check their standards. So just be wary that there are a lot of these um, puppy mills are doing that. It's, it's something that's new and they know that they want to get their dogs sold somehow. And that's how they're doing it. And then last one, which uh, before we say goodbye, let me make sure I had any questions or comments. Right the metrics for cataracts, we talked about that. Okay, so great. I think we got them all. Ah, dog hill signs ZD and dry. I feel like I should give her a vitamin because she's now 15 years old. Well, the ZD, just so you know, is a great, great food as a truly hypoallergenic diet. A lot of times we are trying to do diet trials and trying to get dogs to eliminate all the dietary antigens that they may be eating. We don't know what they may be. So we talk about food trial and eliminating everything. ZD is one of those foods that has like no antigenicity in it. So it would not hurt. I mean, the thing with these foods, we say you shouldn't use them long-term because we do want to do it just for the trial. But if you can never find out what they can eat other than ZD, of course, so you're sticking on ZD, then yes, I would probably want to supplement to, just to be safe. So Seperica Trio is great. No, in the warmer months, if you don't have a flea or mosquito problem during the winter in some areas of the country, like New York, then you could probably get away with just doing it during the six or I usually start, tell people start in March. I would do nine months. Um, starting springtime, March through September um, might be better. But yes, if it's working and you're not seeing mosquitoes or fleas during the, the harsh winters, then yeah, you probably don't need it. However, one thing I'll tell you, ticks do thrive in cold weather. So if nothing else, you might want to use Semperica regular for the flea and tick problems during the winter, 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 and then switch to the trio uh, during the spring and summer. So some great stats that I'm going to let you go with. I think it's cool. 
Here it goes. How important are our pets to us? So this was a survey done. I'm going to read these. This is great. As a veterinarian, I, I am so happy to hear this. But first of all, 53% of owners surveyed, right, basically said that they would spend less on themselves to maintain spending on their pets. Love it. 46 said they spend the same amount or more each month on their pets as they do on their kids. And I hear that all the time. 51% said they would go into debt, all right, if they needed it for vet care. And lastly, 25% said they, they would delay their own medical care, all right, um, if they had to take care of their pets for some reason. So, and it's so funny because I always joke back in the day when, you know, it was not just a putting this, the, the card on the reader and automatically done, you don't have to sign anything anymore. I mean, where they were signing checks and as they're checking out, they're standing up front, dog is next to them on the leash. And they're saying, as they're signing that check, they got Bowser, you know, I spend more on you than I do with the kids. And, I, and it's so funny. You hear it all the time. And uh, I guess the survey proves it that we love our pets. We want to do what's right for them. And even, even at sacrificing our own care sometimes. So um, anyway, that's right. 100% for me and everything for my dogs. So uh, there, that's the go. <laughs> and Bethany, 86 love them more than their kids or their husbands. <laughs> yes, I know. So, uh, yep, that's, that's true. Real good stuff. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio. We will see you all next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. I'm off to play uh, Shoot Some Hoops with a friend of mine and go see Mike O'Hearn. If you don't know who Mike O'Hearn is, you got to follow this guy. First of all, he's got like two plus million followers. He's former Mr. Everything, Mr. Universe, Mr. Olympia, the nicest guy on the planet. And man, does he love his dogs. So uh, we're going to go some, do some stuff today. So anyway, uh, thanks for joining me. If you have any questions during the week, anytime you need to get a hold of me, very easy to get a hold of, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, Dr. Jeff at DrJeff.com, or just here on Instagram Live, just send me a note. Love to hear from you. But also, if you have anyone that you know would be a really good guest that's in the animal world, that you think others that join us every Sunday morning would like to hear from and speak with, just let me know and uh, send me information. I'll be happy to reach out to them and um, take it from there because I think it's, it's great for the show. And, you know, it's great for you guys to just learn more about your pets, about pet care, uh, what you can do to make their lives better. And trust me, if you make their lives better, you're going to make your lives better. See you next time. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.